Chapter Two of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Monica Raleigh. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert de Saint-Amand, translated by Elizabeth G. Martin. Chapter 2. Count the Fashion's Last Journey to Paris. It has been supposed until lately that after the day when he bade farewell to the royal family at the beginning of the Varennes journey, Count de Fashion never again saw Marie Antoinette, a new publication of very great importance proves that this is an error and that the swedish nobleman came to paris for the last time in seventeen ninety two and had several interviews with the king and queen this publication is entitled extrait des papiers du grand maréchal de suède comte de jean axel de fashion and is published by his great nephew baron de ankerstrom a swedish colonel there is something romantic in this episode of the mysterious journey made by marie antoinette's loyal chevalier which merits to leave a trace in history fershen was one of those men whose sentiments are all the more profound because they know how to veil them under an apparently imperturbable calm a soul of fire under an exterior of ice as the baroness de Korf describes him courageous to temerity devoted to heroism he had conceived for marie antoinette one of those disinterested and ardent friendships which lie midway between love and religion almost as much a frenchman as he was a swede he did not forget that he had fought in america under the standard of the most christian king and had been colonel of a regiment in the service of france having been the courtier of the happy and brilliant queen he remained the courtier of the queen overcome by anguish he had enkindled in the soul of his sovereign gustavus the third the same chivalrous sentiment which animated his own and was impatiently awaiting the time when he could hasten to the aid of louis xvi and marie antoinette under the swedish flag his dearest ambition was to draw his sword in the queen's defence from the varennes journey up to the day of marie antoinette's execution he had but one thought to rescue the woman for whom he would willingly have shed the last drop of his blood this fixed idea has left its trace on every line of his journal the sad and melancholy countenance of fashion the courtier of misfortune the friend of unhappy days is assuredly one of the celebrated types in the drama of versailles and the tuileries this man who would have made no mark in history but for the martyr queen is certain thanks to her not to be forgotten by posterity marie antoinette was to return him in glory what he gave her in devotion on her return to the tuileries after the disastrous journey to varennes 
The Queen wrote to Fersen, June 27, 1791, "Be at ease about us; we are living." And Fersen replied, "I am well and live only to serve you." June 29 she wrote him another letter in which she said, "Do not write to me; it would endanger us, and, above all, do not return here under any pretext; all would be lost if you should make your appearance. They never lose sight of us by night or day, which is a matter of indifference to me. Be tranquil; nothing will happen to me. The Assembly desires to treat us with gentleness. Adieu, I shall not be able to write to you again." Marie Antoinette was in error when she supposed she would not write again. She was in error likewise when she imagined that Fersen, in spite of all dangers and difficulties, would not find means to see her. Their correspondence was not interrupted. After the acceptance of the Constitution, Marie Antoinette wrote to him, can you understand my position and the part I am continually obliged to play? Sometimes I do not understand myself, and am obliged to consider whether it is really I who am speaking, but what is to be done? It is all necessary, and be sure our position would still be worse than it is if I had not at once assumed this attitude. We at least gain time by it and that is all that is required. I keep up better than could be expected, seeing that I go out so little and endure constantly such immense fatigue of mind. What with the persons whom I must see, my writing, and the time I spend with my children, I have not a moment to myself. The last occupation, which is not the least, gives me my sole happiness. When I am very sad, I take my little boy in my arms, embrace him with my whole heart, and for a moment am consoled. Fersen, touched and pitying, was constantly thinking of that fatal palace of the Tuileries, where the queen was so much to be compassionated. An invincible attraction drew him thither. There, he thought, was the post of devotion and of honour. November 26 he wrote, tell me whether there is any possibility of going to see you entirely alone without a servant in case i receive the order to do so from the king gustavus the third he has already spoken to me of his desire to bring this about of all the sovereigns who interested themselves in the fate of louis Seize and marie antoinette gustavus was the most active brave and resolute he was also the only one in whom Marie Antoinette placed absolute confidence. She expected less from her own brother, the Emperor Leopold, and it was to Stockholm above all that she turned her eyes. Gustavus ordered Fersen to go secretly to Paris, and on December 22, 1791, he sent him a memoir and certain letters commissioning him to deliver them to Louis says and Marie Antoinette. He recommended as forcibly as he could a new attempt at flight, but with precautions suggested by the lesson of Varennes. He thought the members of the royal family should depart separately and in disguise, and that, once outside of his kingdom, Louis says should call for the intervention of a congress. 
The following passage occurs in the letter of the Swedish king to Marie Antoinette. I beg your majesty to consider seriously that violent disorders can only be cured by violent remedies, and that, if moderating is a virtue in the course of ordinary life, it often becomes a vice when there is question of public matters. The king of France can re-establish his dominion only by resuming his former rights. Every other remedy is illusory. Anything except this would merely open the way to endless discussions, which would augment the confusion instead of ending it. The king's rights were torn from him by the sword. It is by the sword that they must be reconquered. But I refrain. I should remember that I am addressing a prince who, in the most terrible moments of her life, has shown the most intrepid courage. Fersen obtained permission from Louis says to accomplish the mission confided to him by Gustavus Third. He left Stockholm under an assumed name and with the passport of a Swedish courier, and reached Paris without accident, February 13, 1792. He was so adroit and prudent that no one suspected his presence. On, on, the, on the very evening of his arrival, he wrote in his journal, went to the Queen by my usual road. Very few national guards did not see the King. Fersen therefore only reappeared at the Tuileries, in the darkness like a fugitive or an outlaw he found the queen pale with grief and with hair whitened by sorrow and emotion it was a summon moment the storm was raging within france and beyond it terrible omens snares and dangers lay on every side one might have said that the tuileries were about to be swallowed up in a gulf of fire and blood the next day Fersen saw the king. He wrote in his journal, Tuesday 14, saw the king at six in the evening. He will not go and cannot on account of the extreme vigilance. In fact, he scruples, in fact, he scruples at it, having so often promised to remain, for he, for he is an honest man. He sees that force is the only resource, is the only resource. But being weak, he thinks. But being weak, he thinks it impossible to resume all his authority, unless he were constantly encouraged. I am not sure he would not be tempted to negotiate with the rebels. He said to me afterwards, "That's all very well. We are by ourselves, and we can talk. But nobody ever found himself in my position." I know I missed the right moment. It was the 14th of July. We ought to have gone then. And I wanted to, but how could I when Monsieur himself begged me to stay, and Marshal de Broglie, who was in command, said to me, Yes, we can go to Metz, but what shall we do when we get there? I lost the opportunity and never found it again. I have been abandoned by everyone. I have been abandoned by everybody. Louis says, desired Fersen to warn the powers that they must not be surprised at anything he might forced at anything he might be forced to do that he was obliged that it was the effect of constraint they must put me out of the question he added and let me do what i can Fersen had a long talk with marie antoinette the same day 
She entered into full details about the present and especially about the past. She explained why the flight to Varennes, in which Fersen had taken such a prominent part, and which had succeeded so well so long as he directed it, had ended in failure. The Queen described the anguish of the arrest and the return. To the project of a new effort to escape she replied by pointing out the implacable surveillance of which she was the object, and the effervescence of popular passions, which this time would overleap all restraint if the fugitives were taken. It would be better for the royal family to suffer together than to expose themselves to die separately. It would be better to die like princes who abdicate majesty only with life than as vagabonds under vulgar disguise. The queen at Fersen told me that she saw Alexandre Lamet and Duport, that they always tell her that there is no remedy but foreign troops, failing that all is lost, that this cannot last, that they have gone farther than they wished to. In spite of all this, she thinks the malicious, does not trust them, but uses them as best she can. All the ministers are traitors who betray the king. Fersen had a final interview with Louis Cesse and Marie Antoinette on February 21st, 1792. By February 24, he had returned to Brussels. He was profoundly moved on quitting the Tuileries, but dismal and lugubrious as his forebodings may have been how much more sombre was the reality to prove what a terrible fate was reserved for the chief actors in this drama yet a few days and the chivalrous gustavus was to be assassinated the hour of execution was approaching for louis Cesse and marie antoinette fersen likewise was to have a most tragic end from the moment when he bade his last adieu to the unhappy queen his life was but long torment his disposition already inclined to melancholy because incurably sad his loyal and devoted soul could not accustom itself to the thought of the calamities weighing so cruelly upon that good and beautiful sovereign of whom he said in seventeen seventy eight the queen is the prettiest and most amiable princess that i know on october fourteenth seventeen ninety three he will still be endeavouring with the aid of baron de breteuil to bring to completion a thousand's plot to extricate the august captive from her fate he will learn the fatal tidings on the twentieth i can think of nothing but my loss he will write in his journal it is frightful to have no positive details it is horrible that she should have been alone in her last moments with no one to speak to or to receive her last wishes no without vengeance my heart will never be content covered with honours under the reign of gustavus fourth senator chancellor of the academy of upsal member of the seraphim order grand marshal of the kingdom of sweden there will remain in the depths of his heart a wound which nothing can heal an inveterate fatality will pursue him as it had done the unfortunate sovereign of whom he had been the chevalier he will perish in a riot in stockholm june twenty 
1810 at the time of the obsequies of the prince royal struck down by fists and walking-sticks his hair pulled out his clothes torn to rags he will be dragged about half-naked rolled underfoot assassinated by a maddened populace before rendering his last sigh he will succeed in rising to his knees and joining his hands he will utter these words from the stoning of saint stephen o my god who callest me to thee i implore thee for my tormentors whom i pardon if not the same words they are at least the same thoughts as those of marie antoinette on the platform of the scaffold End of chapter two recording by monica rolly